Hey there, what's up everyone? It's Jeff from Modern Combat and Survival, and welcome to podcast episode number 238. Now, one thing that I've found that's far too common among those who own a gun for self-protection is an overconfidence, but not necessarily in their ability to use their gun. Although that's definitely a factor as well. But I'm talking about in the actions that they expect to happen after a self-defense shooting. In fact, in my own interviews and in looking at real-world legal cases of citizens forced to defend themselves, there are five common mistakes that people can easily fall for that could put you in a serious jam with the responding police, and even potentially in the courtroom if you're forced to defend your actions. Now, my top five list is coming right up, and don't worry about taking notes because we've done all the heavy lifting for you with this week's free show notes covering all the hot points that you need to know. All you need to do is go and head on over to www.mcsmagazine.com 238 and download it all absolutely free. And now, let's talk tactics. Tactical firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. This, this is another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is Modern Combat and Survival. Hey everyone, welcome back. This is Jeff Anderson, editor for Modern Combat and Survival Magazine and executive director of the New World Patriot Alliance with another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. Now listen, if you've been following, whether it's our newsletter, our blog, our YouTube channel, our uh, our podcast especially, you know that one of my passion areas of training is in the legal side of personal protection. When is it actually okay for you to be able to defend yourself legally in the eyes of the law, um, as well as be able to you know, tactically protect you and your family, right? Well, it's that legal side that I think is really the most undertrained aspect of personal protection, especially when it comes to with a firearm. And so we put a lot of attention there and we use real world cases and stories to be able to illustrate to people how just one wrong move on your part, one mistake on your part can really end up destroying your entire life and that of your family. Not even just from the standpoint of Um, where you could actually die. Obviously, tactically, you need to be able to protect yourself, right? But if you make one tiny mistake and you have to defend your actions in court, even if you are 100% legally justified, well, you still are going to have to pay for a lawyer. You're still going to miss work because you're going to have to go to court. You could potentially lose your job just simply because you've been charged with a crime. Um, let alone if you're actually convicted in court because of that mistake that you made, all right? The emotional and financial trauma to you and your family is immense, and it has ruined people's lives. Now, this is the whole reason why we did our Bulletproof Defense DVD was because people are so untrained in this area. And I'm talking about people who are tactically expert operators, but really don't understand when they can even draw their weapon in a personal protection scenario. Okay. Now, listen. I should say right off the right off the bat here. I am not a lawyer. I don't play one on TV. This is just an area that I think is really um, under underplayed, under trained, and really is not given enough attention. Okay. Um, so, 
there are uh, in looking at, at real world cases, and this is why we use real world cases here to show people that this does happen to people who are even exper very experienced with a firearm. But using real world cases, these five mistakes are the ones that I see that are, are that people can really easily fall in into that trap. And I want you to really keep an open mind here because it's very easy for you right now, especially if you're more experienced with a firearm, to think, well, this stuff could never happen to me because I'm smarter than the average person. I am I uh, am more trained than the average person. Um, I can tell you just from going online and I can tell in forums people own a bazillion guns and they get on there with all this ego and this machismo and this bravado and the things that people say online make me just want to just scream. I just end up slamming my head against the the uh, the wall because even the things they say online can be used against them in a court of law and it's just they're there's so many people that have myths that fall into the traps of these myths and misconceptions that are out there that are permeating the firearms industry. And I want to make sure it's my mission really to make sure that people learn the truth so that you know how to better handle yourself in this situation and protect yourself, not just during the shooting, but also after it as well. All right. So I have a top five list here for you that um, I really want to cover that I think you're going to find is, are going to be things that you could either fall into a trap yourself. Maybe you even think of some of these things as um, um, as things that you you would do and hopefully this kind of changes your mind and helps you understand why you need to be more cautious about these things or or change your mind to them if anything it's going to give you a different perspective on what happens because we talk so much about the tactical aspect of it that you really need to understand after you pull the trigger what to expect and how to deal with yourself in that moment all right so let's go ahead and go through these top five mistakes right now all right mistake number one is leaving the scene of the shooting now you might think, well, why Jeff would I even leave the scene of a shooting? That's stupid. Of course I wouldn't leave the scene of a shooting. Well, there are there are reasons why some people have left or you might even need to leave. Um, let me give you some examples here of, I'm gonna start on the, on the side of where you really shouldn't, but it could be, even be a situation of where let's say your spouse is waiting for you. You were going to pick them up, but you stopped at an ATM machine. There was a hold up there. You used your gun to protect yourself. Um, and you shot this person and it might even look like they're dead, all right? But the mind is not thinking rationally at that time. So you might get in the car. You might, you might want to drive away. You might even think to go pick up your spouse because this traumatic thing just happened to you and she's just around the corner. So you're going to go over there, you're going to pick her up and you're going to come back while you're waiting for the police. The problem is, is that you're leaving the scene of a crime in quotes. Okay. Now it could be legitimate reasons why you think that you're not safe in the area, right? Maybe you don't know if there, if this was one person, but there's a, another person waiting in the shadows. It could be a gang situation that you're concerned about. And so of course, if you don't feel safe, then you do need to leave. All right. That's the first, the first thing is keeping you alive. So if you do need to leave, that's, that's fine. It could be a situation where your phone is dead or um, it's been destroyed in the attack. Maybe it, got, maybe it got dropped, maybe it got lost, maybe it got destroyed, and you need to go to get to a phone. So you have to go, you have to go and do that. Well, even that could be construed as you leaving the scene of a crime. And you might have to, you might have to support that in, in, um, in a court of law. So let me give you an excerpt here. This is from a, a letter that um, I had seen. This was a person's comment from a situation that they actually had gone through. And this is an excerpt from it. And he says, I was involved in a self-defense homicide where I killed my attacker with a knife. 
It really looked bad in court for a while, and it appeared to the arresting officer that I was attempting to flee. The prosecutor in court wanted to know why I tried to run away. I was running for a payphone to call the police. That point helped to equip me and the jury found in my favor. So again, this is a person who was 100% justified in leaving the scene because they, they didn't have their other phone on them, I'm assuming here, and they had to run to a payphone to be able to call the police. Now, take into account here that an officer did respond, took a report, and even with, even with it being a situation that was 100% justified. This person, by the way, was being attacked with a, a metal pipe and was being beat up and had to pull a knife in, 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 um, in personal defense. So even given all of that, there was this person was still had to defend themselves in court. And I mean that they were the defendant. Now, they were the victim, but they ended up becoming the defendant. And it appeared to the arresting officer that they were attempting to flee. That was what was put in the report. That might have even been one of the things that... that happened where the prosecutor was um um why there was even a prosecutor and why this person was defended to begin with but the whole point here is that looks can be deceiving so don't just assume that because you know that you were 100 or you even feel you were 100 justified because it's possible that you weren't but you just might think you were um but that looks can be deceiving so never leave the scene unless it's a matter of safety all right. Okay, mistake number two is tampering with the scene. Again, another one of those, Jeff, come on, I'm not an idiot. What am I going to tamper with the scene for, right? Well, again, there's lots of reasons why people do this. If it's a home defense scenario, well, maybe it's a situation where the police are coming and you don't want them to see what a slob you are. Maybe your spouse doesn't want to see them to see what a slob you are. So you start moving things around, right? The problem is, is that everything in your home, exactly where it is at the time of the shooting, is all evidence. And it can be used potentially in your favor because you don't know what you're moving around that could could be the, the thing that helps to um, uh, put that person away or justify your actions. Okay, so I'm, I'm, that's on one side of it. But on the other side of it, it can, again, looks can be deceiving. It might look like you were moving things around to make it look like this person was doing more than what they were. Okay, it could be a situation where somebody, a neighbor comes by because they heard shots and they come over to see if everything's okay and they see you moving things around. Or a bystander just looking in your front, your smashed in front door sees you moving things around. Okay, and so if you you know if you were asked in court by a prosecutor that that were to say to you now after at the time of the shooting shooting, um, isn't it true that you uh, that you tampered with the scene? Well, no, I, I didn't tamper with the scene. Well, didn't you move things around to potentially make it look like this person this 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 poor this poor disheveled person that was in your it was in your home. Um, that had a had a bad upbringing uh, to make it look worse for them. Didn't you move things around? Well, no, no, no. I would I would never do that. Well, we have a statement here from three witnesses that say that before the police arrived, you were moving things around inside of the house and around in the area where this shooting happened. Is that true? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, we just didn't want the the police officer to see that we had a messy house. Well, you don't want that to be brought into court. It's just one more thing that can that can be put in the prosecutor's sneaky bag of tricks that might be there to put you away, okay? So you wanna make sure that you're not doing anything like that. Now, it could also be a situation where you made a mistake, all right? So 
you shoot somebody thinking that they're armed and that it's a life or death scenario when actually maybe they were going for a phone. Maybe they were going for something else, but nonetheless, you it's dark out, you think that they're armed and you shoot them and they, um, they go down and then you notice that they don't have a weapon. So what do you do? You, you, you take out your, your combat folder and you go ahead and try and wipe off all the fingerprints because you're so smart and you put it on the ground there to make it look like this person really was armed, okay? Now, how many times have we seen police officers on the news that shot an unarmed person because they thought the person was armed when they weren't, but that officer is acquitted? Why was the officer acquitted? Because the officer felt that their life was in jeopardy. That doesn't mean that their life was in jeopardy. The officer felt that their life was in jeopardy and it was legitimate because of the, of the scenario, the environment they were in, the, the specific situation, because it was dark, because this person was reaching in their, in their belt. They just had to articulate why they pulled the trigger. Okay, you're under that same scrutiny, but you also have that same leeway. Now, I'm not saying being trigger happy. You should always positively identify that there's a threat before you ever pull that trigger. However, mistakes do happen. You just have to be able to be able to articulate why it happened. Why did you take the action that you did? Tampering with the evidence by thinking that you're going to be smarter than any, you don't need a high-end crime lab in order to, d to determine that that this was a planted um, knife, right? From the way that it fell, by the by the way the person fell, um, th there are there are there are more than enough uh, coroner cases out there of of homicides and shootings and stabbings and everything else that give enough evidence to show what should happen what the crime scene should look like and it doesn't look like the way that you left it okay so don't try and tamper with the scene and make it look one way or the other um, that that you were either in the um you know in the right there it, it just it's just not worth it okay all you have to do is communicate that you were in fear for your life and justify it all right okay mistake number three is talking too much to yourself <laughs> okay now obviously you don't want to talk too much to the police you don't want to you don't want to do that and we're going to be getting into that here in just a little bit here but what do i mean by talking to yourself well when you call 911 911 is trained to keep you on the phone Okay, they want to they want to get as much information as possible. They want to bring the officers to you. They want to make sure that there's a positive identification of you to the officers and of the officers to you. They don't want the officers showing up and getting shot by you, and they don't want you getting shot by the officers. So they're going to want to keep you on the line. Now, there's nothing legally saying that you have to stay on the line after you give the important information that you need, the location that you're at, who you are, all, the the important information that you're in fear for your life, that there's been a shooting that information. You can just hang up. However, I recommend that you stay on as well because you do want to make sure that you are getting the information, that you do know when the police show up, that you can stay on with them in case there is another threat. Um, however, understand that you are being recorded the entire time. And when I say that, I mean, even if you are on hold, assume that you are being recorded the entire time. So, during that time, you might even just be talking to yourself. You might be talking to the um, 
to the person that you just shot, they might still be conscious and you might be, you know, talking to them. And you have to be very careful because again, you might not understand that you're being recorded or that all of this stuff can be used against you in court. And you have to understand of the, again, the mental strain that you're going to be under at that time. You're going to be shaking. You're going to be nervous. You're going to be afraid. You just went through a traumatic experience. Your nerves are going to be raw. Your emotions are going to be raw. It's very possible that you could be laughing. Okay. So, you know, are you going to want that, that played back in a court of law of you laughing during the call? Because then it looks like, look, this was a joke to you. Was, was this, was this fun to you shooting this person who died? Okay. So all of that is going, you can, you might, you might crack jokes. Um, so you don't want to say, you don't want to crack any jokes. You don't want to laugh. You don't want to try and use the 911 operator as a, as a shoulder to cry on. You don't want to plead your case to them. You just want to give them the information. You don't want to, you know, be yelling at the, the Hispanic gang member that's lying down there bleeding and say, this is why we need Trump's wall. You don't want any of that to be played back inside of a courtroom. Okay. All right. So just understand that your everything is being recorded and you want to make sure that that you are um, saying things that can be constructive. So that is, those are some. There are some things that you can be saying that are constructive. I'm not going to go into that into this one, but it is one of the reasons why we like people to actually stay on the line because there are some things that you can say that will help bolster your defense if you should ever have to defend your actions. Okay. All right. Mistake number four is assuming that cops are your friends. Okay. Look, cops have a dangerous job to do. They have a dangerous job to do. And when they show up, they are arriving to a shooting. They are arriving to a dangerous scenario. Okay? So when when the when you see the lights coming and the cops pull out, don't think that just because you're the good guy that you can walk over to them and that they're just going to welcome you with open arms and, uh, you know, sir, can you tell me what happened here? Okay? You do not want to have your gun in your hand. You're going to want to have it when you're there because you're afraid. Your life was just in danger. And so you're going to want to have that gun for that, that whoopee, okay, to be able to keep you feeling like you're safe and secure. But when the police show up and you have that gun in your hand, understand that they're showing up to a possible shooting, to possibly even just a, a, a man with a gun or a woman with a gun. And when they see you, you don't know who those police officers are. You don't know who's showing up. You don't know how trained they are. You don't know how long they, how, how much experience they have. You don't know that it could be a rookie's first day on the job. That car could come pulling up. He sees a man with a gun. He opens up the door and just puts one in your chest. You just don't know. So do not have a gun in your hand. Don't go walking up to them trying to plead your case. All right. Cops are there. They're going to want to get as much information as possible. They might even try and establish some sort of a relationship with you for that time period, develop a rapport with you to get you to talk. They do want you to talk. They want to know what the situation is. They're not there for your protection. They're not going to say it's best that you don't say anything until your lawyer shows up. Okay. They might try and establish rapport so they can get more information out of you. So when you when you when they take your weapon and they look at it and they say, "Oh, you're a 1911 guy, eh? I got a, I, I, How do you like this gun?" Okay. All of a sudden, you start feeling like you guys are all chums, 
and then they start asking you questions about the situation and you talk too much, all right? Don't assume the cops are your friends, okay? I can tell you that um, I had one situation where a, a police officer came and uh, get a report because I had a, a PDA, what a person, what would they call it? The old, um, they were like before the iPhones and stuff, the PDAs that had like little screens on them and stuff and you had a little stylus pen, you could have your calendar on there. It was before the iPhone, right? Well, I had one stolen from me in a par in a grocery store parking lot. Well, the police officer came and sat me down and was talking with me and taking the report, just, you know, just a typical report. And then he kind of stopped and he kind of, he just kind of looked at me and he's like, you know what? Doesn't it just piss you off when people do this? And I said, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it pisses me off. And he's like, you know what I would love to do? I mean, I wish I'd caught this guy. I would just love to just take him out behind the here and just beat the living shit out of him. And he was kind of laughing about it. And so, you know, I, I, it was just a little bit, it was, it was an odd situation for me. I didn't, I just kind of like giggled it off a little bit, but I didn't buy into the rapport building experiment that he was doing. I didn't buy into the conversation and I didn't carry on the conversation with him. All I did was give him the facts and the information because I didn't, you know, maybe he was just trying to establish rapport to see if maybe I was just doing a false report to try and file some sort of a claim and get money for my PDA. All right. So listen, the cops, don't assume that the cops are your friends, all right? Okay, mistake number five is assuming that cops are your enemy. Okay, well, why Why would I, uh, so we're going to hit the other side of the coin here, okay? So listen, when the cops do show up, you might be treated like, they, like you are the bad guy, all right? Understand that, again, they're showing up, they don't know what the situation is, what the scene is, so they might put their gun out on you, okay? So it might be a surprise to you. They pull up, you still have your gun in your hand. Sir, put the gun down, put the gun down. They could have their weapon train on you and you're trying to explain to them, wait a minute, I'm the good guy, I'm the victim here, this is the guy. They don't, you don't know when they're gonna pull that trigger out of personal defense. So you wanna make sure that you are, um, you know, they, so they might have, they might force you down to the ground. They might put a knee in your back. They might put you in handcuffs. They might put you in the back of a squad car. Okay. Don't fight back. Go with it. Uh, in fact, you're better off assuming that all of this is going to happen. Assume it right now. Just know if a police officer responds or when a police officer responds that you are going to be treated like the bad guy here. Again, Roll with it, you be polite, you be compliant, you don't fight back, you don't argue back, you don't try and tell them your rights, you just go along with everything that they're doing. There will be a lull in the situation here where they have the scene secure, they have you secure, they have the bad guys secure, they have all weapons secure, that now they can get to the bottom of the situation. And when they do, that's when they're gonna be able to talk with you. They'll take you out of the cuffs, they'll apologize for it, okay? But understand, you might even be brought down to uh, the police department. You might even be arrested at the time. You might have to spend a night in jail, okay? You might have to have bail posted. Just, again, be professional the entire time. Understand that this is part of the justice system. And you do not have to have committed a crime in order to go to jail. All right, very, very important. So assume that all of this is gonna happen and go with it, be compliant and give them the information that they ask for as um, 
up to the point where you just you're communicating that you were in fear for your life. Tell them that you want to be, you want to cooperate with the investigation, but that you're really shaken right now, and you'd really want to speak to your lawyer before you give any more information. All right. So anything outside of you know name, serial number, and uh, you know all your address and and then the, the important information there. Um, other than that, you just want to shut up and let your lawyer come and uh, and and do the rest. All right. Okay, so those are my top five lists. I'd, like, I'd really like to hear from you. What are some of the things that you agree with or maybe even disagree with with this, uh, this broadcast as well as what are some things that I missed? What are some other common mistakes people make when they actually, uh, when the law enforcement actually shows up post-shooting here, okay? I'd love to hear your comments. Go ahead and leave it on the blog. And until our next Modern Combat and Survival broadcast, this is Jeff Anderson saying prepare, train, and survive. <laughs>